The Fitness Hacks Podcast, Episode 32. Today, we're joined by Taylor Lewis. Welcome to the Fitness Hacks Podcast by Redefining Strength. Breaking down fitness and the fitness business with some of the best names in the industry. And here are your hosts, Corey Lefkowitz and Ryan Heenan. If you don't understand what you're doing, then you'll never be able to get to where you're going. Taylor shares with us some great life lessons, some great business lessons, some great fitness lessons. He just really harps on the mindset and always showing up and being prepared to give, give, give so that you can build your business, you can get your clients results, you can pursue your passion. And I loved Taylor's motivational stories about how he got into the industry and he basically just showed up and he went for it. And taking action is the one way that you can really guarantee that you'll have success in the future. Don't be afraid of your failures. Actually take that action. Taylor has done so many different things too, from training youth athletes, professional athletes, to even working with people with cystic fibrosis. He has such a unique perspective that it's so interesting to hear all the different things he's done and all the different opportunities out there. So let's jump right into it with Taylor. Today, we're joined by Taylor Lewis. Taylor, welcome to the show. Can you tell us about your background and your fitness journey and what led to your passion for fitness? Oh, man. Yeah. So obviously, my name's Taylor Lewis. Thanks for having me, by the way. This is awesome. Um, fitness journey. I've been in the fitness industry probably close to 10 years now, give or take. And it all started, I was a baseball player and I um, was able to play at a division two and I had gotten hurt. But being a baseball, but being a shorter baseball player, because I was a pitcher, I was only five nine. I had to work harder than other athletes sometimes to get to where I needed to be. So I ended up overtraining, and I wanted to know why, because I was the athlete that was up early. You tell me what to do, I'll do it, and I'll do it actually times ten. I'll do too much. So I ended up getting a strength coach and kind of broke down my whole program. And he's like, he ripped it up, threw it away, and says, "All right, let's begin." And I'm like how can you like, how do you just rip this up? At least I thought this in my head. And so it was, I was very intrigued on our approach. So we started breaking down the physiology, the biomechanics, why doing less sometimes is better. And so I knew exactly from there what I wanted to do is I didn't have this information or a true good strength coach when I was younger. So I was like, I want to help athletes, especially younger ones, give them an idea of stuff that's going to help improve what they do sooner so then it gives them the best opportunity. And from there, after baseball, I decided to leave school because I wasn't, I was right before I was finishing my senior year and I just wasn't set on what was being said in the classroom. So I ended up leaving to go back home because I'm from central California, literally right in the middle. Um, and I was living in Fresno, California, which is, they call the armpit of California. So I was, Got a hockey team as my first gig. I got certified as a NASM personal trainer, and I was able to um, get a hockey gig with a juniors team in Fresno, and I had no idea how to train hockey players. Never played, you know, only played baseball, at least at the college level. And so I started searching for this online. This guy named Mike Boyle started to appear. I'm like, who's this Mike Boyle guy? I'm like three months in, just have no idea who he is. And so I got on a subscription list, and he – Sent out things saying he was hosting a one day in um, Boston, and this guy named Dan John, a keynote was his keynote speaker. And I'm like, I don't know who this Dan is, but I want to go see Mike. So since my dad's from Connecticut, I flew out a couple days early because I wanted to see Boston. I'd never been, and I wanted to see all these different areas in history. And 
I flew in on a Thursday and it was on a Saturday and I put my bags up and then there was a bar slash restaurant connected to the hotel. Went and sat down and literally probably not more than 20 minutes later, I got a tap on my shoulder. Guy asked, guy asked if he could sit next to me and I said, sure, no one was sitting there. And 20 minutes later, maybe he, he asked me why I was here. And I told him, I was like, I'm going to this Mike Boyle seminar, this and that. And he's like, oh, my name's Dan John. I'm the keynote speaker. And I'm like, uh, so three hours later, after multiple whiskeys and him writing on napkins about, hey, we're going to do this tomorrow. We're going to do that tomorrow. You should check this out. I was like, well, tomorrow's Friday. And he's like, oh, I got, I'm flying. He flew me in early to talk to just his team. He's like, you want to just join me? So the whole weekend, I actually got to hang out with Dan and Mike and see BU's hockey team train, watch them play. And it was absolutely phenomenal experience. And from there, I had just connected with Dan, Dan John so much that it kind of opened the doors to applications and all these different areas that I needed to pursue. So six, seven years later, I moved back to Northern California, you know, is, was working with a, a Division II uh, baseball team, Sonoma State, where I actually played, re, revamped their program with some similar stuff that we do now, and then just been training in the Bay Area for about five years, five years now, half of my importance is shifting now to cystic fibrosis. So I work with baseball players. Mostly I have general population. I have a great group of my adult clients, but I focus a lot on baseball and cystic fibrosis and just helping make an impact in the CF world. And we're actually about to launch a website and hopefully the next week or two, which is going to be good. So in a general nutshell, that's kind of where I'm at now and how I came to be. Well, we love the Boston area. We both actually lived out there for about a decade, and I went to Boston University, so we love oh, that area. Man. And it's, it's exciting that that was such a, an important like sort of turning point in your career and made such a big impact. It sounds like. Well, I was like, I was in shock because like the first day I'm sitting in the back of Mike Boyle's, you know, suburban while he's sitting there talking to Dan John, two of the most prolific fitness coaches, you know, in the industry, and I'm like 21 years old, 22. Like, what the heck is going on? Like talk about right place at the right time, but obviously everything it happens for a reason. And it just, I was able to soak in so much from them and everyone at the conference outside of just them speaking and just the application of which they do stuff is real life. And when I was at the university, there's a lot of great content, but it's coming from a different viewpoint. And so a lot of times I feel we get stuck on one side or the other and or we don't know how to get them to flow and mold well when we program for individuals knowing that everything's going to be different and everything all depends. And so it was a great transition to show, hey, trying to put these worlds in parallel together to help you reach wherever you're trying to go with it. And it was amazing. It's so nice to get to learn from people who've been in the industry who have experience and, you know, you mentioned that you were a college athlete. I played tennis at Boston University and it makes you, I think originally, especially want to train athletes. Like I knew I came out wanting to do yeah. that. And I transitioned into more general population because I found that that was actually my passion. But for someone looking to train, you know, athletes at a higher level, what would you suggest they do to start building a clientele and really get into that industry? I think, I mean, obviously they want to be around, you know, the universities and the teams and all those aspects, if, you know, if they've decided not to take the college route of, you know, becoming a general assistant or whatever, building their way through the strength and conditioning, you know, colleges that they're at or where they did post-grad at, then it's just getting around 
the young team from, say, for instance, baseball, you, it's all about getting and creating the community. So if you want to do it independently, it's like get within with the leagues that are in your area and start to build clientele that way. But what people don't realize is once you get to the higher level, like the higher end athletes. So I was, we work with major league athletes, major league baseball players, and it's not necessarily everything that everyone thinks it is. It's they're already really, really good. They they didn't become good because you made them stronger. There's something about them that just clicks and flows with the sport they're playing that not everyone has. Some can create it, and some are just given something that they can make beyond what you can even think of. And so at that point, it's just managing what they, where they're at and making sure they don't get hurt and helping create longevity. But it's, it's where the true, I believe where you get the most out of it is training, you know, the high school and the college players and even the ones that are getting into training, you know, the high school kids, the freshmen, because your ability to teach them is going to expand over everything from group training, adult population to higher end athletes. It's it's how you can reach out to them and get them to understand what you're trying to accomplish. And being able to do that more with the younger athletes is going to thrive at the higher level because once again, you're just managing the high level athletes. You're helping them just stay where they're at or improve to a certain degree. But they may get there. Some of some of them are just really really good, and it just is what it is. But you just got to get you know, dig in the, uh, get in the, uh, trenches more and then just be around it. But it's, I th- yeah. I think with baseball, especially they're even starting those conditioning programs even earlier. I know growing up, I played on the quakes baseball Academy down in Southern California, uh, with Daniel yeah. Spinoza and John Elliott who ran the program, but we had conditioning programs as young as, you know, 10 to 12, uh, just to get more out of, you know, training, it, it's not just baseball anymore. It's, it's, there's so much more to it. And I think that's starting younger and younger. Oh man. It's, it's like every sport. I remember we had some, some cl- young clients, I think it's 15 year old, but I'd ask them, he's a soccer player. And I think one of the best ways to get faster in baseball is to go play soccer in the off season, right? Cause it has so many components that transfer over. But I was like, when's the, like, do you guys have an off season? Cause he plays high school and travel elite travel. So he's like, I haven't had an off season in 13 months. I was like, but yet they're coming to us to get stronger, quicker, faster. And it's, they're just doing way too much. And unfortunately, like you said, at a younger age, it doesn't matter the sport. I, we had a kid that had a hitting coach, pitching coach, a speed coach, and he wanted me to be their strength coach and just, and he was only 12 and a half going to be 13. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. And I think that's the big key right there is the word. No, people don't want to use it or they're scared to use it. Or say, if you say no, it's like, but there has to, someone has to eventually say no and say, listen, just hang out, like just have fun, live your life. Cause we've had kids throw harder by taking a month off from throwing a baseball and we didn't do anything. That's crazy. It's just, it's just take a month off, let your body develop and process. The problem is people like to do more and not sit back and just soak in the process. Like actually, when's the last time it's, it's hard. Sometimes you go work out and then when's the last time after your workout, whether you're foam rolling, whether whatever you're doing, just sat down for one minute and just enjoyed what just happened. Like took in exactly what just happened, even though it could have been the same routine you've been doing there's always something changing, but no one's able to take the time to like understand it. So then you can never 
really pursue how good you could possibly be because I have to do more. I have to do the next day and I have to do that. It's like, why don't you just take a day to soak in what just happened so then your body could take it because your body is not going to just get something right off the bat. You know, it is repetitions, but you have to allow it time to understand the repetition as well throughout doing the exercise. And sometimes you get away with that and it's just like, it's that whole thing. It's like more is not necessarily better. That's a great message for just about everything in life because so often we don't enjoy the process. We don't take a moment, whether or not it's building our business, whether or not it's, you know, our training ourselves, training athletes, training, you know, the general population. Like you have to have that time to appreciate the journey and reflect on it because if you don't take time off, you don't rebuild, you, you know, you don't enjoy the process. It becomes like a chore instead of something that you can play around and have fun with. And that passion really keeps you going long-term too. A hundred percent. And you think about it, it's like Dan John in a lot of his uh, lectures and stuff, we'll talk about this guy, uh, BJ Fogg, that talks about tiny habits. And after a tiny habit, after you've done it, like getting excited and saying yes. And like I've him being my mentor for over six years, I've heard him talk many times and it was it hasn't really hit me until about like six months ago. I'm like, why is the whole yes like thing like why is that so impactful until you start doing it? And then you realize like something simple is like. Being positive and excited that you got a task done, not being like, okay, I got a task done. What's the next one? What's the next one? Because I just got this one done. What do I do next? It's like, why don't you just say hell yes? And then just be excited that you got a task done. And then from there go and then move on. But no one ever is just like sits and like, okay, perfect. I got this done. I'm going to have a great day. Like we're, we're losing, we're losing that. It's okay. I got this done. Let me do that. What's next? And what's next? And I know this because that, that was me and to a certain extent is still me. So I can speak about it, you know, and it's hard. What do you think would be the best way to change that mindset? Because I mean, I know it's like you talked about the young kids, they go from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. And I mean, I'm sure that you, there's some sort of tie to the arm injury epidemic that's going on right now. It's like, how can we switch the parents' mindsets even to say, hey, look, less is more. It doesn't always need to be go, go, go from one thing to the next. I think that's the golden question, right? Like, I I remember last year during uh, one of the Sunday night baseball games, uh, Bryce Harper was playing catch with one of the commentators, and they were talking, and one thing ended up he coming out saying, yes, I played multiple sports at a young age, and yes, I do believe the kids need to p- take time off. Legitimately, a guy that could possibly sign a $500 million contract next year saying that on live television and you still have parents still like that's how impactful this is to a point where even the high level guys telling parents they're still not going to listen as well and it's it's sometimes unfortunately it's your kid getting Tommy John or your things happening like that where parents are finally you know hey maybe we should pull back because it's it's really hard when we talk to parents it's like I shot their dog because they want validation. They want legitimate validation that what they're doing is right because we know they love and care for their kids. So they figure, well, if I give them more, it's going to be better, but it gets away from, well, let them just understand the process and let them be responsible, you know, and for doing stuff. Cause if you give someone too much stuff, then you, you can't be responsible all the time for everything. We'll have kids miss strength and conditioning because they have piano, right? They can't come in because of this and that. And like, that's totally understandable. But if you're going to commit to something, like make sure that you commit to it because it shows a lot down the road and it creates integrity for what you're trying to. It just shows that it's just another thing. 
you know, and um, it's hard, but, you know, it's trying to just get to the kids themselves before the parents and just being there for the kids and be like, Hey, we're here to get you better. Like, you know, help you reach your goals. This is what we have to understand is this is going to be a process. You're going to do great some days and other days you're not going to do as well. But the biggest picture is you showed up and you put some effort into it and let's just rock and roll and keep on improving. And it takes time just like anything else. Cause we talked about everything's a process, nothing's instant. So it's for us as coaches to understand that that's a process. Cause once again, sometimes as coaches, we don't understand. We want things sooner. We want them to deadlift more weight sooner. Unfortunately, life happens. A lot of variables outside of the gym happen and we, we get away from understanding, Hey, they just showed up today. That should be one of those tiny habits like, yes, they showed up. Whatever they do from then on out will determine, but still, they showed up. We get like, crap, well, we didn't get here, we didn't get here. It's like, well, they showed up. That sh- We should be happy about that because then that translates us over to our coaching because if we're positive about them showing up, then we're going to be more positive about our guys lifting or and taking out, oh, they have to hit this. And then all of a sudden, they're happier because they're positive and then they buy in more. And then all of a sudden they get it. So then when they do talk to their parents, because ultimately, at least, you know, you see a lot of kids dictating what happens right now with their parents because their parents are trying to help them out so much. Kids are, you know, starting to say, hey, I want to do this and that. So then they could they can make a change internally through the family as well that way. And I think it starts with us just getting with the kids, because once again, the parents, 40, 50, 60, whatever, they've been doing something a certain way for a very long time it'd be faster to get to the 14-year-old than the 60-year-old or the 40-year-old. If someone wanted to go about training youth athletes, how would you suggest they build their business? You know, would you have any tips for them with program development? How do you handle this youth clientele and especially this youth athlete? Uh, I think the biggest thing is give, 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 give. But give with the backing you're doing it to help improve what they're trying. Like you're truly there to help them. Like, don't give because you eventually want to get, like, in a sense of, oh, well, if I keep giving there, I'm, I'm going to get all this money from it. Give because you're truly passionate about helping, and that eventually turns into stuff. Like, in the community that you're at, like, if we talk about baseball or any youth sports, go to their, you know, little leagues and stuff like that. Talk to the coaches, but, hey, we'd love to come out and just, you know, go for one hour with all the coaches of proper warmups for baseball players and stuff like that. It's, you know, we'd love to help out and stuff like that. Go to the Babe Ruth, the high schools and just keep giving because eventually it'll turn around and get your name out there. And once again, it's easier buy-in than trying to get people to pay for stuff right off the bat, but do it for the backing. It's because you really want to help others and not in the like, well, this is going to turn into a, you know, a gold mine because a lot of times it takes, once again, it takes time for that to turn over sometimes a couple of years. It may take five years, but when it turns over, it's just flips and it floods you. Like you, it's in the end, it's always worth it. If, if you have the right intentions, it goes back to what you were saying. You have to enjoy the process. If you're not enjoying the yeah. process, you're not going to stick with it and build your business. Well, and not only that is it gets you to learn. Because enjoying the process is failing, 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 failing over and over and over again. And if you enjoy the process, you'll understand why you fail. But not only that, it's going to open doors to other things and thoughts on how to improve things. That's then going to help other people at the same time because someone's going to do the same thing you're doing. 
So that just helps other people out and then you help each other out and then all of a sudden everyone's, you know, going in the right direction. But you just if you don't understand what you're doing, then you'll never be able to get to where you're going. I don't think I've ever heard it stated that way. Enjoying the process is failing, failing, failing. But that is probably one of the most accurate descriptions of just about anything you succeed at in life. Yeah, right. But the problem is, like we were talking, like people are so scared of failing that they either never try, they start something and quit immediately, like a couple, say, eight-week thing, they start and quit two weeks into it. So if they quit quickly, they can't really be feel as bad because they didn't go through the whole process. Or at the end of the eight weeks, they start to, or midway through, they start to, to you know, kind of fall off a little bit and don't say anything to anyone just because they don't want to look in and be like, I, I failed at something because it's so impactful. They rather stay away from failing and just be stagnant because of how impactful failure is. Cause it's, it's an emotional tie to a certain degree. And once you're able to take the emotions out of it and just say, Hey, listen, this is what it is. Okay. I failed. So what, what do I do now? The problem is people just, it's so emotional. Failure is such an emotional impact on people that it just, they can't get, it's hard. It takes time to get over that. But once you do, it's like you look in the mirror, okay, I failed. So how do I improve this? And this is why I like both sides of training from the research component to the strength and conditioning is because when you talk about research, when people put research out there, they tell you the truth. Like they, they make, they write these papers, they do these things and say, Hey, this is our study. This is what we do. You know, even though it's controlled, they at least say they'll go up and speak and say, Hey, we tried this. It didn't work. And then they're going to move on to something else where that's why sometimes on the other side, we're scared to tell people we failed at doing a certain flow of exercises or this didn't work or this and that didn't work, you know, because we don't want to look as trainers as bad trainers or it's going to hurt our reputation type thing. And it happens. All of us do it. It's like if you look on Instagram, there, there's always great videos of people doing stuff very well, but there's never really I you don't see really any bad videos that, hey, we failed at this. This is what we're doing, you know, type things, because that's just not what people are looking for. And 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 so it's going back to it's like you just got to get over the emotional component of it and just look it straight in the mirror because nothing's going to change either way. Right. Well, and I think we're afraid to share that sometimes because you think that someone won't see you as an authority or this and that. And the thing is, is really they want to see your humanity because failing is okay and it's going to happen and there's no way around it. So sharing that can sometimes be even more, more motivational instead of presenting this false facade. Well, and talk and then, then getting the feedback and using it, right? Because we're talking about multiple eyes seeing things from multiple different vantage points. And if you throw something on Instagram that didn't work as well as you thought and ask for feedback or said, hey, this is what I was doing, ask for feedback. But then on the same side, if you do that, the people giving feedback can't be like, oh, well, you should have done this or should have done that. It should be this mutual, hey, we're coming together to try and help this person improve the product that they're trying to or programming because that will help us and vice versa. But a lot of times people will come in and be like, well, you should have done this or I can't believe you did that exercise because research shows this. It's like get, stop getting away from who's wrong or who's right and look at the bigger deal because it doesn't matter. You can fight back and forth. Well, you shouldn't have done this. You shouldn't have done that. It's like how can we improve this? Make it, you know, make the feedback positive and then it can open the doors when people read it. It's like, oh, I'll try that now and like see where we can go with it. And I think the, the good strength coaches 
are always, you know, they're always open for feedback when it's, you know, said the in the right context and where they're trying to go with with the goal that they have because there's multiple ways to do it. The question is, why are you going towards this that way? You know, and once people understand it, they can help you do that. But it's hard. It is. It's hard to be open to criticism, but it's so important. And if if you have a passion for something, you got to go out there, you got to risk the failure. And you obviously have such a great passion for training athletes. I have to ask how you got started doing, you know, work with cystic fibrosis. Yeah. So, um, let's see, uh, so when I came back to Northern California, I was, like I said, I'd left my senior. I didn't graduate because I had moved on to try different things. And I went back, finished my bachelor's degree and went right into my master's program. And we had to pick a, you know, a master's project or thesis. And at the time I was doing, going to do post-activation potentiation, but there was so much data out there and research about it that, um, I was talking to my brother, um, who is a doing his fellowship or at, um, Stanford and, he works in cystic fibrosis and he specializes in the GI tract and CF and he does a lot of research on the back end. And he, he'd asked me one day we we're driving, I think to Stanford for something I was, and he had asked me if I would ever be willing or thought about helping out with, um, exercise and CF over there. Because what happens sometimes is when they get exacerbations and they're, in, they're in the hospital, they can't necessarily leave their hospital rooms and stuff like that for could be weeks on end. It just depends on the situation and severity. And they're, they were asking the doctors for fitness programs. And the research is very limited to a certain degree on exercise and CF. And a lot of it's done on cardiovascular training. So my brother asked me, he's like, when you're done with your master's, would you ever consider, you know, helping out? And I was like, screw it. Let's just do my master's project on it. So we got a, a, did a case study with a client with CF and we, we took out conditioning for the most part, um, which is you don't ever see because it's, it's a lung disease or one of the um, symptoms or causes. And so we showed that strength training and positional breathing would um, should help improve cardiovascular endurance and quality of life. And we all know in general, it's like it's a balance between endurance training, resistance training, flexibility, mobility, whatever you want to call it. It's a balance between everything. But there wasn't really a lot done on the actual strength component and breathing component to it. So we added that, showed great improvement. I was like, once we finished the case study – and I was able to, I actually was able to speak at the North American CF conference last year about it and the impact that it created. Like people are finally, we have someone in this industry that's more doing application instead of like, okay, this is what the research says. So go ahead and exercise. And people like raise their hand. So how many sets, how many reps, how do I program? It's like the, now, okay, what's the application? So I just took it and ran with it in the sense that I really love helping this community out, making an impact. And it just, you know, four years, I think three and a half, four years later, I'm just getting more and more involved and hoping we can, I'm just helping fill the gap between all the doctors, the PTs, nutritionists and that field. So we can possibly eventually find a cure because maybe something in a research project we do, a doctor sees something that's abnormal and then checks it out and boom, they find a cure or something. So we just, we're just trying to fill a gap that's needed to hopefully eventually find this cure. And it's been amazing. 
Were there any parallels, expected or unexpected, when it came to developing training programs for CF patients? Oh, yeah. Um, so once again, this is a general statement. We have wide ranges of, you know, clients with CF that are just extreme badasses. Like w- w- I'm working with uh, a client right now. I call her like the Michael, uh, Michael Phelps uh, swimming in um, with CF because she has like, she goes to the um, transplant games um, and she has like 19 gold medals and probably butchering this, but I think it's like six silvers and two bronze or something. And she, we have just some really high end CF athletes. And then on the other side, we have both sides of the spectrum. But what we're seeing is um, less is more in a sense of we don't do as many reps due to the fact that they're going to fatigue a little bit faster. And if you overload the system, whether whether it's a neural, neural overload or muscular overload, there could cause exacerbating symptoms to possibly, you know, turn into hospitalization. So you have to be very cautious. And right now I'm working a lot with messing around with lower reps, not for the whole idea of, you know, one to six is power and hypertrophy and endurance, but to see where that is taking us. And we're kind of doing the flip of training people with CF less reps and then start to improve it and then see where our tail end is. Um, but it's, you just got to be careful in certain situations. Like I learned some patients with CF, I learned this two weeks ago from a client we have, we do some exercises on the ground and you know, where they're laying on their backs, which you think would be totally fine. But with, um, pre transplant patients, that's going to probably feel uncomfortable and some don't like it necessarily to be on the ground. So little things like that definitely helps. And that's why I really love my clients because how my programs are set up with our CF patients right now, because this is all pro pro bono work I'm doing. This is all, you know, there's no funding for this right now. So what we're doing is getting clients who are willing to do, do these programs for free and then just give us feedback because the more I know about the CF community and the people that actually have CF and the doctors and nutritionists, what everyone goes through, the better I can program. And I think that's another thing going back to coaching that I see a big thing is like you want, if you really want to work with a certain population, engulf yourself with, you know, who they see, who's a part of their lives, whether, you know, our CF patients, you know, they have doctors, they have different specialists, they have nutritionists, they have specific ones, you know, respiratory therapists. So I make sure that I get to know everyone because I now have a vantage point from their perspective on what's going on, which is going to help transition. So now if you're working with adult population, you know, just who, who, who's part of their community, what they like to do, like simple things like that you know, gives you more feedback than just right then and there, right? Right. What you see in the gym is just one variable to, you know, how's their family life? How's, you know, what they like to do for fun? You know, what's a general thing. And I think that really helps to really get to know the community, especially if you want to be engulfed in it and do make an impact on it actually. Well, it's great advice if someone wants to get into, you know, working with a certain client that might not have like the easy in or they can't target on Facebook or any of those things. There's still something about going in person and really meeting the people involved and, you know, volunteering and really helping out so that you can, you know, build your clientele and love doing what you're doing. Well, I think that's the biggest thing. I think the best way to do it is actually just show up because emails, phone calls, they're good to a certain extent. Like for instance, when I was working with the doctors with this in CF, it's like 
you're not you're talking about sending an email to a doctor that has lots of patients that's extremely busy and then if they don't email you back what do people do they're like oh well why didn't they email me back or why this why that so you email them again if they don't then then you go and show up and just hey i would like to make an appointment to talk you know this is what i'm doing it's all about showing that you care but it was so much easier when you show up to a place because then it's like there's you see you in person and just saying what you want to do to help out and give is such a faster turnaround than just saying, well, you know, I'll email them or I'll give them a phone call. That's awesome. But if you have an opportunity, if you had to balance which one was going to be the most impactful is showing up and face to face, eye to eye. It's like, I'm here to help. What can I do to start helping and be willing to do the simplest tasks ever and throw your ego to the side? Because just because you're a strength coach and just because you've, you know, depending on where you're at, like doing simple tasks because then they build into other things, whatever it is, you know, it's like, yes, you would like to get here, but you can't just show up and tell someone, Hey, this is who I am. So this is what I want to do with your team. And they're going to be like, Oh yeah, sure. Of course we're going to let you do that. No, you get to know the person It may take a couple conversations and it's just, you got to be willing to let it take time. But yes, I think the most powerful thing is showing up and just every time Dan John says, it, he's like, you want to, just show up. Things happen if you show up. And that's why it goes back to if you get your clients to show up, then boom, there, there's the battle right there half the time. I mean, that's just such great advice between, you know, saying give and show up. It really is about just, you know, putting yourself out there and taking that risk and risking that failure and genuinely caring. And with such great knowledge and advice, is there anything you would have told your former self? Because it really sounds like you've taken advantage and shown up all of the time. Um, no. And yes, in a sense is like, I wish like when I first started, I wish I would have like, Hey, be more involved in school from the get go. Because, you know, when I was playing baseball at Sonoma State, I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to go play professional baseball player, just like every baseball player thinks at the high school and college level. So I didn't really focus on my studies as much. I once again, got good enough grades to play. And I was never eligibility was never the case, but I wasn't so focused and in depth. And then that ended up flipping. So, you know, I would probably say focus more on my studies in a sense and just understand that. But at the same time, I probably wouldn't say anything because I wouldn't have met Dan John or Mike Boyle or Eric Cressy or all these guys if I didn't show up because of the lack of knowledge that I had. Because if you look at on the other side, if I would have known those things, maybe I would have thought differently and be like, well, you know, I know that to a certain degree, I don't need to spend $500 to do this. That is not my personality, but that's that possibility. So it's like the lack of knowledge made me go get it because I'm, I'm born and raised from a very driven family. And my mom was a special education teacher who really gave back to the special education community. And I saw that when I'd go over there and see her teach these kids. My dad was a sports medicine doctor. So I was around, you know, the science to a certain degree. And my brothers were competitive, you know, in high school and college and sports. So I was very competitive because I wanted to play with them. So I've always had that, but it's, it's just, I think I would have said, good job for showing up. Cause that's what Dan told me. He's like, you're more than welcome to come to anything that I have. You just got to show up. And it's funny. Cause we talk about that. He said, we had a conversation one time and I was asked him, I was like, there was probably 200 people listening to him speak. And I was like, and he always gives his phone number, his email. And practically the only thing he doesn't give is he doesn't give his address, but he gives you everything else. And he just like, I was like, so how many people will contact you? And he's like, say 200 out of 200, maybe two. 
And it's like, wow, like you're given these opportunities by all these coaches. And sometimes it's just sending an email. Like I've met really good coaches at the highest level just because, hey, you know, I'm in the area, would love to come just hang out and just be a fly on the wall. If it's okay, then awesome. If not, totally understand. But people have to take the emotion out and be like, hey, no, it's not all right. Or if you get rejected, it's fine. You're going to live. Just keep going forward because you understand why you're doing it. So if you understand why you're doing what you're doing, sending these emails out to talk to people and understand why you're trying to show up to these places, not to be a celebrity trainer, become famous because you think you're going there because you want to listen to these people because they have something to give and they're willing to give it to you. So then you can go turn around, develop that, you know, soak it in and then help, you know, send it out in your own manner. Then things will come into play in a way that's going to work well for you. And I think that's the key. And I think that all ties back to not being afraid to fail, you know, not being afraid of getting rejected and putting yourself out there. Yeah. And taking the emotional component out of it when you do fail. Once again, everyone doesn't like to fail. We all get that. You're never going to like be fully like you want emotions involved, but sometimes people take it to like a lot of times it's like, well, I'm, what did I do wrong? What did this and what did that? And so why does it always have to be that? It's like, all right, what do I need to do to improve? Like it's never, it's like, what did I do wrong? It's like, okay, what do I do need to do to improve? And if you take that mentality, then you can improve something and then it gets better and then you get better. And then all of a sudden things come into play and everything, opportunities arise and you're in the right position because you were, you're willing to accept that it wasn't good enough, but it can be better. Well, and I think especially in the, you know, health and fitness industry and maybe every industry, but there's so many different things that can work for so many different people and so many different opinions out there and so much new research and knowledge that comes out constantly that if you're doing the same thing you were doing years ago, you're probably not necessarily helping people to the best of your abilities. And you might not be having the business that you want because you're not constantly learning. So it's, it's getting over that idea that everybody's going to agree with you or everybody's going to even think that you're doing the right thing because you're never going to constantly please everybody or be on the same page as everybody else. And all you can do is keep learning and growing yourself. I think that's, I mean, a huge point. Cause I was, there's this book called decisiveness, you know? Um, and they talk about, it's like when things like this arise, you have a tendency to, when you go say back, what you think is right. When people are saying you're wrong, you're like, you're going to try and find multiple backings that think you're right versus Okay, why why is the opposing view you don't listen to it necessarily like you should and then you don't see not only their perspective but read up on why they're saying this and keeping the balance between understanding both sides cuz we have a tendency to always find and read stuff that back our thoughts but are never willing to read the same amount or at least very similar to why other people don't think that you're your way is necessarily the right way or how you do this or program this is necessarily whether it's wrong or right. It's like, and that's what helps you give that balance between what you're saying, you know, and people don't like, people don't like that. You know, people don't like to spend time learning why people don't think their, their methods are right. Or if they would have done something differently because we believe it's only our way or the highway type thing sometimes with certain things. And that's the thing, the cool, that's what's so awesome about fitness. And I think so awesome about life is there's so many ways to do so many different things. And that's what creates personality. And that's what creates a colorful world. Because if everyone did everything the exact same way, they would just be so boring. 
But not only that is we couldn't truly understand things. Because if you can't understand, if you can't look into multiple ways to do something, then you're never going to be able to find the best way to do it. And if you're, but then it goes back to, but if you're happy, then that's, that's what counts. And it's crazy. They're all, it's all synergistically together in some form or fashion. That's what you can easily life lessons from fitness and, and vice versa, where they can all translate together because you're doing the same thing. It's just different variables put into this equation to find a different solution. I, I totally agree. And it, it's one of those things that there are so many right ways to do something that it's about learning so that you can make the right way for yourself and your clients so you can be happy and you can provide the service and get the value that you des- deserve and need. Well, and then the, the outcome, if it was a positive outcome, then it doesn't matter, right? If you did things, if you have two people doing the same, trying to get stronger, if this person got stronger and this person got stronger, then it both works. Just because this person got 15 pounds versus 20, does we get away from it. Oh, well, this person did better. No, you both you both did good. There's too many things to compare to be like, this is a better way than this way, because it's not, because it's not the same person. It's not the same lifestyle. It's not the same environment. It's not the same genetics. And it's not, the, you know, so why don't we just be happy that they both got better rather than this person got better than this person? Because down the road, it may flip and this person may get better than this person because sometimes we're just better at certain things than other things. So let's just look at, hey, we all got better. Awesome. Let's move on now. I think that's such a great point. Yeah. I mean, I think it's so often overlooked. Yeah. Like it's because it, it goes back to, okay, what's next? What's next? I'm comparing this to that and they're not the same. It's like, it, it's validation that you're doing something right by comparing to other things that have very similar, they look very similar, but internally they're not. If you really want to break it down, there's a lot of, you can go general, but that's the thing is like, if everyone's doing better then why does someone always have, why does there always have to be a bad component to it in its own right? But yeah, it's crazy. So you've done so much both in the CF community and in the baseball community and, and sports training. What does the future hold for you? That is a great question. <laughs> um, my future, like I was, I've been talking about this with um, going over this with Dan and just different things is I want my, I think my, my goal now it's, it's molded and transitioned different things is is to open up, you may hopefully in 10 years, hopefully sooner, um, the Cystic Fibrosis Fitness Institute. Um, like I said, this website we just launched is just a platform for us to start, you know, talking to more people in the CF community around the, around the world to, you know, get feedback and, you know, help with exercise. But my goal is to be able to open this Cystic Fibrosis Fitness Institute and, be able to do application type research. And when the clients come into the uh, clinics, they can come over the, this institute or facility or center, whatever it's at, and we can give them a program, but show them via through, you know, actually there. And then I, I still, I love baseball. I love training baseball players. So I want to be able at the same component, be able to at night possibly throw in our baseball element because I believe Working with baseball players and working with people with CF, they both come from different environments, but they have a lot to give that can transfer over both ways. But not only with if we work with group 
population the same thing because there's always something that you can correlate over. So the goal, I think, is to open this facility and have a combination of both to a certain degree, but definitely you know, get this CF stuff rocking and rolling so we can help with the application component and give some maps to programming and um, trying to develop their own workout so that we can empower them to be able to go into the gyms or even if it's out at home program, be able to do it and see good results from it. Taylor, you've given us so much great advice and you know, I have to admit, I, I love your, your outlook on your future and getting to work with a lot of different people because each client is kind of a new puzzle that you get to learn. And that continuing education is so much fun. It's so exciting because it makes you so much better and helps so many more people. And I just want to say thank you for all the great advice. But now we have to ask you five really hard questions, the hardest questions of the day. Okay. And it's called the Fast Five Fitness Facts. Are you ready for the questions? Yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite exercise? Ooh, just one. Just one. Deadlifts. And what exercise do you hate but love at the same time? Pull-ups. And what's the best book you've ever read? Um, I'd have to say Dan Jown, Don't Hate Me, but right now, Essentialism. We'll allow two. <laughs> Um, all of, all, all of Dan John's series of can you go <laughs> and what's your, uh, favorite pump up song? Ooh, um, I like the collaborations, honestly, of the motivational speakers like Les Brown and Eric Thomas and all them. I like the little cuts and stuff like that. Only like the three to four minute ones, just cause there's just empowering stuff that they say. That's, that's always fun to listen to on the way over to the gym. I think you're going to have disappointed my dad with the answer. He he was hoping for Go Cubs Go. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> and if you could train with one person, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Oh, um, I would have to say Roger Clemens. And the reason why I say Roger Clemens, because he was always my idol as a pitcher growing up. I did his... He had like a Navy SEALs workout in men's health when I was like 14. I don't even know if it was really his workout, but it was intense. And I just always admired him, you know. So Roger Clemens, I would have to say. And one more exclusive bonus question. If it was one position player, who would it be? Oh, one position player. Oh, that's a great question. I would have to say, man. I've, I've hit was, I probably, let's shoot. I don't even know. I told you these I, were the hardest questions of the day. These are because there's so many good ones and I'm, I'm ta I'm thinking past, I'm thinking present. It's like, and I've worked with some really, I got to hang out and work with some really good ones already, but I would, geez, this is probably the hardest question. I don't even know. Uh, I'll just say, we'll, we'll give you a couple. Give me a couple. Okay. Huh? I can't even, I, I would always wanted to see like Hank Aaron always loved his, what he did. Um, Reggie Jackson would be a good one. Um, and I think I would love to see if they, and I don't even know if they did way back then, but like Joe DiMaggio and then see how they trained if they did, but in baseball, that would be it. But yeah, that's a good answer. I was going to say you can't go wrong with any of those three. No, and I and and the re a big reason why is I just want to. They're different times. 
So I want to see what they did because what they did worked during their time. So you can always transfer that over. You know, it's always good to see different time periods and what they did and how, why they were so successful, you know. And so I think the later years would be the best for me to get a better understanding of what's, how things have been progressing. Taylor, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you tell our listeners where they can follow up with you and learn more? Yeah. Um, so I have, so we have our cystic fibrosis fitness website, which is going to be cffitness.org. You can go on um, my website right now. It's tlstrength.com. It's gonna, we're shifting over to academyoftotalperformance.com in the next couple of weeks. And then my Facebook page um, is just Taylor Lewis Strength Coach. And then my email is tlstrength at gmail.com. Um, but I appreciate you guys having me and spending this time talking, love talking about fitness and life in general. This was awesome. We'll definitely link out to all those in the show notes as well. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me guys. You have a great day. Thanks for listening to the fitness hacks podcast by redefining strength for the show notes and more episodes. Visit redefiningstrength.com.